The brutal war that Israel is waging on Gaza is increasingly day by day becoming a regional conflict. The United States and Israel in recent months have bombed not only Gaza, but also Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen. And now the US government is even threatening Iran with war. US President Joe Biden sent the Iranian government a private message while the US was bombing Yemen, and he said threateningly, quote, we're confident, we're well prepared. Now, meanwhile, while this is happening, South Africa has introduced a case in the International Court of Justice, the top United Nations legal authority, which accuses Israel of committing genocide against the Palestinian people. And South Africa's case has garnered support official sponsorship from dozens of countries across the global south. This case has frightened Israel and its sponsors in Washington, and they are desperately trying to expand the conflict into a regional war in order to win more sympathy and to turn attention away from what South Africa and many countries have referred to as a genocide in Gaza. Top experts at the United Nations have been warning for months that the Palestinian people are at risk of genocide. What happens in the International Court of Justice is, of course, unknown. Here at Geopolitical Economy Report, I will be doing a separate analysis of that situation. But I should point out that the judges at the ICJ, there are 15 judges, and they're disproportionately from Western countries and have shown a history of being politically biased. So it's very difficult to predict what will happen. However, for context, the Financial Times reported in December that in just two months of Israeli bombing, Gaza had become the most heavily bombed area in human history. Now, as Israel faces formal charges of genocide at The Hague, many officials in Washington are concerned because the U.S. is directly complicit in the war crimes that Israel is committing. The Joe Biden administration has sent billions of dollars of weapons and military aid to Israel. And in fact, the Biden administration has bypassed Congress two times using emergency measures to send weapons to Israel which is quite strange because Congress is full of people who strongly support Israel. They would likely have approved these arms shipments, but it shows that in Washington, the government does not even want a debate about these arms shipments. Washington is concerned about people focusing their attention on its complicity in arming Israel, so it's simply choosing to do so quietly without Congress's approval. And the U.S. is involved in these conflicts in many other ways, not simply by arming Israel. In fact, the U.S. military has 57,000 personnel stationed all across the so-called Middle East, or a better term is West Asia. And these are just the U.S. military personnel that we know about. It's likely that the U.S. also has covert special operations forces that are not accounted for among this 57,000. And in just a few months, the U.S. has bombed Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. On the 11th of January, the United States launched airstrikes against dozens of targets in Yemen. Now, the corporate media, like the New York Times, referred to these attacks by the U.S. as attacks on the so-called Houthi militia in Yemen. But this is actually very misleading. 
As I explained in a video which I will link to in the description below, the so-called Houthis represent the government for the majority of the Yemeni population. This was acknowledged even by the mainstream think tank, the Brookings Institution, which is based in Washington, D.C. It published an article by a former CIA analyst, and he admitted that the so-called Houthi movement, which is not the real name, it's actually called Ansar Allah, he acknowledged that Ansar Allah had its origins in the grassroots in Yemen, opposing the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003. And then they gained popular support in Yemen because they were fighting against a brutal U.S.-backed Saudi war in which, with U.S. support, Saudi Arabia launched brutal airstrikes and imposed a blockade and carried out intentional mass starvation. And he acknowledged that the so-called Houthis, Ansar Allah, have created a functioning government which includes representatives of other groups and 70 to 80% of Yemenis live in this Houthi-led, Ansar Allah-led government in Yemen. So when the U.S. launches dozens of attacks inside Yemen, the U.S. is actually essentially waging war against the Yemeni government. The so-called Houthis are not just a militia, they are leading the government. And the New York Times acknowledged in its report on the U.S. airstrikes that Ansar Allah has greeted the prospect of war with the United States with open delight. One of its most important leaders said in a televised speech, quote, We, the Yemeni people, are not among those who are afraid of America. We are comfortable with a direct confrontation with the Americans. So the U.S. has essentially opened a new front in this regional war against Yemen. And as if that weren't enough, after a prominent Yemeni leader said publicly that they are prepared to fight against the United States, a day later, on the 12th of January, the U.S. once again launched airstrikes against Yemen. And the New York Times wrote that, quote, the strikes come amid fears of a wider escalation of the conflict in the Middle East. I mean, that's very euphemistic. In reality, the U.S. is creating a wider conflict in the region by expanding the war and waging war on not only Yemen, but also Iraq and Syria. In early January, the Biden administration also carried out an act of war against Iraq. The New York Times noted that the U.S. carried out an airstrike in Baghdad, the capital of Iraq, and an Iraqi government spokesman referred to this as, quote, a flagrant violation of the sovereignty and security of Iraq, and he referred to the U.S. attack as, quote, no different from a terrorist act. And the New York Times acknowledges that the U.S. was attacking an Iraqi militia known as Harakat al-Nujava, and this organization is part of the Iraqi government. It is part of Iraq's Popular Mobilization Forces, which is a security organization that is in, that is in turn part of the Iraqi government's broader security forces. So the U.S. is attacking the Iraqi security forces. However, the Trump administration in 2019 declared this part of the Iraqi government to be a so-called terrorist organization. And now the Biden administration is continuing Trump's policy 
of attacking the Iraqi government. This is yet another act of war. Now, in response to Washington's attack on his country, Iraq's Prime Minister Asudani, he publicly called for the U.S. troops in his country to leave. I need to emphasize, there have been U.S. troops consistently in Iraq since the illegal U.S. invasion in 2003. The war you know, has gone through phases, but it basically has never ended. And I should also emphasize that the current Iraqi Prime Minister, Asudani, is by no means an anti-U.S. leader. In Iraqi politics, there are a lot of anti-U.S. politicians. He is not one of them. But even he is now saying that the U.S. needs to stop occupying his country and attacking his country, and it needs to leave. But meanwhile, Websites close to the U.S. Department of Defense are reporting, citing U.S. analysts, that U.S. troops are not going to leave Iraq anytime soon. So this is essentially acknowledgement that the U.S. maintains a neo-colonial occupation of Iraq. And this is not the first time that this has happened. Back in January 2020, Donald Trump ordered the assassination of the top Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, and the top Iraqi military official, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, who was a leader of the Popular Mobilization Forces, which I discussed earlier, which are officially part of the Iraqi government and were the leading forces that were fighting against ISIS. These two leaders, Iran's general Qasem Soleimani and Iraq's military officer, Abu Mahdi Mohandes, were two of the most important people in the fight to defeat ISIS. And Trump assassinated both of them in a blatant act of war, not only against Iran, but also against Iraq. And in response to this U.S. act of war, the Iraqi parliament, which was created by the United States, the democratically elected parliament in Iraq, voted to expel the U.S. troops occupying the country. And not only did Donald Trump say, no, we refuse to leave, we're going to maintain this neo-colonial occupation. Furthermore, Donald Trump threatened to impose sanctions on Iraq in condemnation of Iraq's democratically elected parliament, calling for the U.S. military occupiers to leave. This is neo-colonial behavior. But what's so frustrating is if you read the Western media's coverage of what's happening in Iraq, they always portray it as if Iran is secretly in control of Iraq. And when the U.S. carries out acts of war and kills Iraqi officials who are part of the Iraqi military apparatus through the Popular Mobilization Forces, the Western media portrays them as pro-Iran leaders. That's the, the language used, which is completely misleading. It's just like how the Western media refers to the so-called Houthis, Ansar Allah, in Yemen, constantly as Iran-backed, trying to portray them as Iranian proxies. But they're not Iranian proxies. They are Yemenis, just as the Iraqi Popular Mobilization Forces are Iraqis, or Lebanon's resistance group Hezbollah is Lebanese. They're not Iranian, but this is part of a media propaganda narrative that is trying to justify U.S. acts of war and neo-colonial policies against numerous sovereign governments all across West Asia. Another clear example of this is that in recent months, the United States has launched airstrikes also in Syria 
So the U.S. is bombing Yemen and Iraq, and it's bombing Syria, and yet the Western media refers to these U.S. airstrikes in Syria as attacks on, quote, Iran-backed bases. But they would never refer to attacks by Palestinian groups on Israeli military forces as Palestinian attacks on U.S.-backed bases. This is a clear example of war propaganda of the Western media trying to manufacture consent for U.S. neo-colonial wars on Yemen, Iraq, and Syria. In fact, I explained in a recent video, which I will link to in the description below, how the U.S. is maintaining an illegal military occupation of Syria and in particular of Syria's oil-rich territory, where also much of its wheat is produced, and the stated policy of U.S. officials is to starve the Syrian government of revenue that it needs to rebuild after a decade of war fueled by the United States completely destroyed the country. I mean, this is neo-colonial sadism. And in December, there was a vote in the U.S. Congress and the Senate calling to withdraw U.S. troops, and that vote failed at 13 to 84. The vast majority of the Senate, 84 out of the 100 members, voted against this call to withdraw the U.S. troops occupying Syria's oil fields. Once again, this is neocolonialism. And by the way, while the U.S. is bombing Yemen, Iraq, and Syria, Israel is also bombing multiple countries in the region. In October, Israel bombed the airports in Syria's cities of both Aleppo and Damascus. In January, Israel launched many more attacks on Syria, and once again, the Western media very misleadingly tried to portray this as Israeli strikes on so-called Iran-linked targets in Syria. But Israel has been killing Syrian soldiers. These are Israeli acts of war against the Syrian government, and yet the Western media tries to make everything all about Iran, saying that Iran is supposedly controlling all these governments, when in reality, it's the U.S. and Israel that are at war with basically the entire region. Israel has also been attacking its neighbor Lebanon repeatedly, including Amnesty International, the mainstream Western human rights organization, acknowledged that Israel has been using white phosphorus, a horrific weapon that is banned by many countries. Israel has been using this to attack Lebanon. And Amnesty International emphasized that Israel has been killing Lebanese civilians in what are illegal, indiscriminate attacks. And Israel is not only attacking southern Lebanon. In fact, Israel has also carried out attacks inside Beirut in central Lebanon, the capital of the country. This is an act of war against Lebanon, and it is a clear red line. The Lebanese resistance group Hezbollah, which expelled Israel after Israel militarily occupied illegally Lebanon for many years, Hezbollah expelled Israel defending Lebanon's sovereignty, and they said that this is a very clear red line if Israel is launching attacks inside the capital Beirut. So the Western media keeps saying that these U.S. and Israeli attacks on countries in the region raise the specter of a wider regional war. But the reality is that the U.S. and Israel are already at war with Yemen, 
Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and the most important country here, Iran. We all know that the main target of U.S. and Israeli neo-colonial wars in the region all aim at Iran. This was confirmed by a former top U.S. military general and NATO commander, Wesley Clark, who revealed back in 2007 that after 9-11, the United States made plans to attack seven countries in the region in five years. In an interview with Democracy Now! host Amy Goodman, Wesley Clark said that the U.S. had plans to attack Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. And the U.S. government has been making this link very clearly. In public statements, the U.S. government has blamed Iran for Ansarallah in Yemen, the so-called Houthis, launching attacks on ships that are aimed toward Israel, that are providing support for Israel as it's carrying out this war and being accused of genocide. And a top U.S. official said, quote, Iran is a primary, if not the primary, enabler or supporter or sponsor of the Houthis. And the U.S. government claimed that Iran is, quote, involved in every phase of what U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin called, quote, illegal, dangerous, and destabilizing attacks against U.S. and international vessels and commercial vessels. And many war hawks in Washington are using this as an opportunity to openly call for a U.S.-Israeli war on Iran. Now, John Bolton, the neoconservative extremist who was Donald Trump's national security advisor, he was also an architect of the Iraq war under former President George W. Bush. John Bolton published an article in the conservative British newspaper, The Telegraph, and he the, his op-ed was titled, quote, the West may now have no option but to attack Iran. He published that on the 28th of December. And Bolton clearly coordinated that with the former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, because on the exact same day, the former Israeli Prime Minister published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, The U.S. and Israel Need to Take Iran On Directly. And in his article, Naftali Bennett boasted that when he was prime minister of Israel, he carried out numerous attacks on Iranian soil, Israeli bombing attacks, and he boasted that Israel assassinated Iranian officials, and he called for supporting the domestic opposition inside Iran, ensuring internet continuity, which Elon Musk, the billionaire oligarch who works with the U.S. government, Elon Musk has been collaborating with the U.S. government in order to provide his Starlink technology, not only to Ukraine, but also to the U.S. and Israeli-backed opposition in Iran. And he called for increasing sanctions and economic pressure on Iran. And finally, in his last paragraph, Naftali Bennett said, quote, 
The U.S. and Israel must set the clear goal of bringing down Iran's evil regime, and he used this racist colonial language, saying that the civilized world must overthrow Iran's government. So this is clearly what all of this is heading toward. The U.S. and Israel, at least many hawkish officials in the U.S. and Israeli governments, they want not only a wider regional war, they want a full-out war against Iran to overthrow Iran's government. And many of these hardline imperialists in Washington have been salivating at the idea of war with Iran for many years. Back in 2015, John Bolton, who once again was Donald Trump's national security advisor, the most powerful national security official in the Trump administration, back in 2015, John Bolton published an article in the New York Times titled, To Stop Iran's Bomb, Bomb Iran, openly calling to bomb Iran. In fact, a former spokesman for Israel's current far-right prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, his name is Michael Frund, he published an article in the Jerusalem Post titled, Iran is already at war with Israel and the U.S., and in this article, he said very clearly that Israel and America must act now, openly calling for war with Iran. And his bio noted that he was deputy communications director under Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This is Netanyahu's former spokesman. It's very likely that he coordinated this article with Netanyahu himself. Of course, if Netanyahu publicly said this, it would be an, a declaration of war. But having his former spokesman do it is a very obvious, indirect way in which Israel is saying, we want war with Iran. In fact, on the 3rd of January, there was a terror attack on Iranian civilians and around 100 Iranians were killed at an event that was commemorating the anniversary of the Donald Trump administration's assassination of Qasem Soleimani, the top Iranian general. And, of course, the Western media absurdly claimed that ISIS, so-called ISIS, carried out this attack. I mean, ISIS has been destroyed for years now, but a lot of people in Iran have accused Israel of being behind this attack. Many people in the region believe that and consider this to be an Israeli act of war, not only against Iran, but simply against the Iranian people. Again, this was a terror attack that killed around 100 Iranian civilians who were commemorating the anniversary of a U.S. act of war, Donald Trump's act of war against their country. We are in a very dangerous moment in which the U.S. and Israel are already at war with Yemen, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. Israel is carrying out this brutal war in Gaza, and it's being accused of genocide in the international stage. And multiple officials in the U.S. and Israel are calling for expanding what is already regional war into an all-out war with Iran. This is a very perilous moment. And there is a lot more that I could say. There are, there are other details that I want to add, but I'm going to conclude this analysis here today, and I'm going to be doing other videos soon in which I discuss other geopolitical aspects of these conflicts. And in particular, I'm going to also do an analysis of South Africa's case in the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of genocide. If you like the work that we do here, 
Please like and subscribe on whatever platform you're watching or listening on. If this is YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. If you prefer listening to all of our episodes, you can check out the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. And most important of all, if you like the work that we do, please consider supporting us over at geopoliticaleconomy.com support. There are several ways you can donate. The best way is you can go to patreon.com slash geopolitical economy and become a patron. We are completely independent. We have no large institutional support, no big donors. We rely entirely on small donations from viewers and listeners like you. I'm Ben Norton, the editor of Geopolitical Economy Report. I want to thank everyone for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.